Shut up and sit down. Hey there and welcome to the Third Period Podcast, the show that takes you around the UK ice hockey leagues. Sponsored by Nuola for all your custom sportswear needs. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Third Period Podcast. I'm Danny and tonight I have with me Ash. Ash, how are you? Very good, thank you Danny. Fantastic. Ross, you're also there in the cave. How are you? Yeah, all fine and dandy. Thank you. And how's, how about yourself, Danny? Yeah, coping. Little one's causing a bit of havoc around the house, but that's what kids do, don't they? <laughs> so let's get on. Tonight's guest uh, is the first Inuk player to have ever participated in the NHL. Widely regarded as one of the biggest agitators ever to play in the league, he was able to annoy, fight and distract other players, which helped the teams he played on to win. Accumulating 64 goals, 96 assists and over 1,000 penalty minutes in just over 700 NHL games since entering the league in 2003. We welcome tonight's guest, Jordan Tutu. Jordan, thank you for joining us. How are you? Hey, Dan. I'm doing great, Dan. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to uh, expanding my life story with uh, all you guys uh, across the pond there. So looking forward to this episode. Oh, it should be a good one, especially with some of the questions we've had come in from the few people we have told because we have tried to keep this very quiet. So I'll start with the cliche one. I ask every person that we've had on that's a player, where did hockey begin for yourself? What was your first memory of it? So I grew up in a a very remote, isolated community uh, called Rankin Inlet, Nunavut, which is located in Canada's Arctic region, um, right along the coast of the the Hudson Bay. Just a a really small town, um, pretty much winter, 10 months out of the year. So plenty of ice to be be skated on as a a young kid. And... uh, um, that being said, my, my father, Barney was a, a hockey player himself. And, uh, when I was a, a young kid, he was the, uh, ice rink maintenance man. He kind of ran the, the facility. So we had access to the, uh, to the rink basically every day. Um, but for me, I, uh, it just kind of came natural, um, I, I enjoyed the sport. Uh, you know, it all started playing street hockey out on the, the streets in, in minus 50 Celsius, uh, wow. you know, so and, and and playing under the northern lights. I don't know if you guys have northern lights over there, but uh, we sure do. And I, I remember as a young kid, we um, we would whistle at the northern lights and they seemed to, you know, come down closer and closer and, and just light up the, the whole street for, for us. So, um, oh, yeah. Fantastic. Sounds, sounds very nice. I'm going to go more personal then for the next one I've got. What was it like growing up in the far north then? I know a few people have said that the sunrise and sunsets are really nice. Yeah, I, like <laughs> I talked about earlier, it's, it's very isolated, right? So the, the only way in and out is to, to fly uh or to go by boat or snowmobile um as a young kid 
uh, I had the freedom of being outside. Uh, you know, when you when you live in a, a rural community, everybody knows everybody. And that being said, in my community, I was able to to walk the streets, to go and, and play and and just be a kid, right? Like, uh, um, but on the flip side, I grew up with alcoholic parents. So the dysfunction in our household was uh, pretty intense. Uh, you know, I could go back to my, you know, to seven, eight, nine years old, uh, you know, on weekends, not wanting to be home. Because, you know, my parents are drinking and chaos and, and, and all that that comes along with it. So I grew up, uh, you know, kind of being afraid of being a kid. Because anytime I, I did something, I would get in shit. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so I, I, my, my guards were up ever since I was a young kid. I, I always had to, to protect myself. Um, but thank God I had my older brother, Terrence, who is, uh, who is now deceased. He, he took his own life in 2002. Uh, but my brother Terrence was basically my father figure, my mentor, my hero. Uh, he, he was the one that guided me as a, as a young kid and protected me. And, um, you know, so... I, you know, all these problems happen in, in, you know, really remote communities, big cities. Um, yeah. It's just at a, on a different, different level, different scale. Right. So, uh, but all in all, I, I could honestly say I, I am forever grateful for, for how I grew up, what I experienced because it's made me the man I am today. Just jumping forward slightly then. And I'm going to look at when you're around 13 years old and, you move from Rankin Inlet uh, to go and play Bantam AAA hockey in Spruce Grove, Alberta, playing for the Broncos under-15s AAA team, scoring 20 goals in 34 games. And then kind of that step to the next step of your life, when um, the Brandon Wheat Kings taking a shine to you and selected your third round in the 98 WHL Bantam draft. From a young age, well, from a hockey start, was going to WHL always something you had your eye on? Always the plan? To be honest, guys... I had no fucking clue what the WHL was, what junior hockey was. Uh, you know, I grew up playing against my buddies on the streets, yeah. uh, basically pawn hockey, right? And uh, I didn't – hockey wasn't out for me. When I left at 13 years old, 14 years old, it was an opportunity for me to get out of the situation that – I was in growing up as a kid in our household. So hockey brought me to, uh, to Spruce Grove, Alberta, which is a, uh, a city just outside of Edmonton. And, you know, flying down there, I was excited. Um, uh, you know, it was an opportunity for me to play the game that I love. But two weeks into, the, uh, into my trip, you know, because I grew up knowing everybody. I grew up being able to jump on my snowmobile, jump on my quad and go out on the land and go hunting and fishing and, and just have the freedom, right? Now I'm in, I'm, I'm in a city where, you know, vehicles are everywhere. There's 
massive trees, high rises. So it was a culture shock for me. And I remember calling my brother and saying, look, it, I, I'm giving up. I can't handle this. And my brother was the one that just kept fighting for me to stay. Uh, we actually communicated via fax machine. So we would write a letter. He would fax it to me. I would respond with the uh, answer, send the fax back. And that went on for, for the rest of the year. Um, my second game in, because we're, you know, back home, I don't know if you guys ever heard the term Hudson Bay rules. So what, what Hudson Bay rules is basically anything goes, right? There's no offside. There's no two-line pass. There's uh, no whistle for nothing. Uh, you drop the gloves, you give her, and, you know, you pick them up and you, you, you go back out again. So <laughs> when I first, because that was my first year playing organized hockey guys, yeah. 14 years old, right into AAA Bantam. And, you know, now I have to learn systems uh you know positions and all this stuff and i was like what the hell is this you know i i, I might as well go home and play real hockey my <laughs> second game in i crushed a guy i i beat up two two kids next thing you know it parents are you know trying to get jump over the glass and then i get suspended for 10 games and i'm like what the fuck is this i i'm not <laughs> This is not, this is not my cup of tea. So I, uh, I stuck it out. I then got drafted by the Brandon Weekings. No clue who the Brandon Weekings were or what the WHL was. Um, that following year, my 15 year old year, I ended up playing junior A. So my brother, Terrence was playing junior A for the OCN Blizzard and I happened to be just coming through town and the coach the coach asked me if I want to lace him up for an exhibition game and I was like sure I'm here and got a couple tilts and the coach called me into his office he's like you're staying here as a 15 year old you're you're staying here and so I, I you know 15 years old I'm playing with 18 19 20 year olds right and you know, uh, I'm beating the shit out of all these older guys and, and whatnot. And then from there, uh, go on to play four years in Brandon. And uh, from there, made it to the NHL. Saying about that time in Brandon, and obviously you mentioned that your brother Terrence kept you going there and made you push through kind of thing. 214 games, 215 points. But then the big one, 785 penalty minutes. <laughs> that says a lot. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm only five foot eight in the program. I'm five foot nine, five foot nine guys. You know, you got to give it a half inch or an inch extra, right? So, uh, you know, I, I ain't the biggest guy, but, you know, it's, I, I talk a lot about this when I do my public speaking, um, the term mind over matter, you know, mental toughness, uh, 
is is everything right you know uh i often use another term will over skill you know your will is going to get you further than your skill and hey i i i'm the first to admit i wasn't the the most skilled player but i had the drive to win i had the the passion to uh to protect my teammates um and so yeah i was uh basically a human wrecking ball playing in the the western hockey league um my last year my last two years there i led my team in points and in penalty minutes um I, if i wasn't scoring goals i was in the penalty box <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Jordan, you mentioned the NHL. So, back in 2001, Nashville Predators, 98th overall, select you. Did you ever expect to make it to the NHL? Uh, to be honest, uh, no. Um, I really broke out my 19-year-old year in Brandon where I, you know, the first half of the season, I think I was I was leading the league in points, and you know that's when I started to really turn heads with the uh, with the scouts that were coming into the building, and uh, you know to me it was I, I'm not a worry wart, you know I I don't overanalyze shit like I just get out there and get your do your job right that's that's all it is you know talk about mind over matter right you know people pulling you in in different directions uh your agent telling you one thing uh your coach telling you another thing you know all that you know like a lot of kids get fucked up you know like and they just it's too much pressure for them for me i attribute my my mental toughness to to growing up in nunavut to you know where where i grew up and and the fact that it's survival mode every every fucking day up there, right? You know, you you hunt and fish for your food. Uh, you know, you're you're living in harsh conditions of minus sixty Celsius, right? So uh, you you got to be mentally fit for all that. And into my hawk, that led into my hockey career. And you know, I was taking guys on six foot six and and just crushing them. And uh, but. Every time I'd go into a fight, I'd look look the guy straight in the eyes. And I knew I had him beat already because I could just tell in his eyes, right? You know, and and that's where it all starts, guys. Like, it's it's right here. Your brain is, is everything. 100%. And, like, you've said about the way you look from your background and bringing up and the fire and everything. But still, quite a start in the NHL. 70 games that first year, 137 penalty minutes. Um, first game against the Ducks. Um, how does it feel, that first NHL game? Obviously, you've stepped up to the next level and you're in the big stuff now. Yeah, it was uh, it was a whirlwind, that's for sure. You know, I there was a lot of emotion going on throughout that whole game day, you know, from pregame state and then... You know, I'm I'm sitting at home in my condo in Nashville, and I'm looking at the ceiling, trying to have a pregame nap. And you know, I'm tossing and turning, and you know, 
the the one thing that really kept me grounded was the fact that my brother Terrence believed in me and he believed that I was going to make it and and this was for him and I got to do this for him and I I remember when I jumped over the boards and and laid my blades on the ice uh that was for my brother Terrence and I at that point I didn't give a shit if if uh, I made a career out of this or if it was just one game, I did it for my brother. And fortunately enough, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing to make the NHL. It's, it's another thing to stay. It's, that's, that's the hard part, right? You know, to, to make a career out of it. But I, uh, you know, I, I fought, I scratched and clawed, and I, I accepted the role that was given to me. And, I, you know, I tried to perfect it. And that was being an agitator, uh, uh, you know, sparking the guys with a fight or a big hit. Um, you know, like I said, I'm not the biggest guy, but, um, you know, I, I always played with a big heart. You mentioned earlier about um, the Northern Lights and, You'd whistle, the Northern Lights would come down, you'd play some hockey with your, your buddies, your, the lads you grew up with. Did you find when the big lights of the NHL, and because you were the first player of Inuit, Inuit descent to play, were them lights really big on you as well then because you were the first? Yeah, so it, it, it wasn't probably until two or three years into my NHL career where it started to dawn on me like, holy shit, everything that I, I do, people are watching. My people, the indigenous community. Um, but at that moment, you know, my first year, I mean, it was just, you know, you're, you're playing every other night. You're traveling. You're, you're going to this city, you know, and it just, everything just happens so fast. And uh, in the off-season, um, you know, I, when I go home, I'm still Jordan, the kid that grew up in Rankin Inlet to, to our, my community members. Um, but that being said, I accepted the role of being a role model for our people and to say, Hey, it doesn't matter where you come from or what color your skin is or what, eth- uh, uh, you know, what background you come from. Anything's possible if you put your mind to it. You know, I often talk about inclusivity, right? You know, to win the Stanley Cup or to win any any champion, uh, you know, the team has to come together. And there's multicultural backgrounds uh, on every team. And if if you know the your teammates, uh, if if things don't click right, you're not going to win. So, yeah, it was uh, it was a hell of a a hell of a ride, you know, the first couple years. And, uh, um, yeah, uh, to be honest, guys, um, I don't quite really remember the first six years of my NHL career because of my alcoholism. Right? I played a lot of, I don't know if you guys heard the term guilty hockey, right? Where you're, you know, yeah. So, it was uh it was quite interesting and then you know obviously in in 2010 i uh was offered help and accepted it 
went to rehab in uh, in December of 2010, and uh, been sober ever since. So I'm coming up 10 years here of sobriety. Fantastic, guys. Really well done. That's just that's the real life. And fair play to you, the fact you've you've got you've got the help, you've took the help, and you've you've turned it around. And that's that's only kudos to yourself for that. Um, Thank you. I know you mentioned you, you didn't really remember the first six years, um, but we do like to ask players like little bits um, in terms of your first goal and first points in the NHL. For yeah. us, free is is playing on the Xbox. We don't get yeah. to go on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely, I definitely remember my first goal. Um, I don't remember my first fight um, because I've been fucking punching the head one too many times I think but um, my my first goal was against the Atlanta Thrashers who are now the Winnipeg Jets um, it was a, a one-time pass from Merritt Zilicki and Dan Hamhus um, I don't remember the exact date that I scored but yeah I mean to become the first Enoch to play in an NHL game, uh, to become the first Enoch to score an NHL goal was, uh, I mean, I was speechless, right? And I'm like, you know, I go home at night and I'd be like, you know, what the hell is going on, right? Uh, I'm playing in the show. I'm I'm a kid from Rankin Inlet, Nunavut, where uh, three quarters of this country has no idea where the hell that is but uh, I mean one day at a time guys put your head down muck and grind and just give her well that that first goal that was October 23rd against Freshers I've got the stat in front of me here (laughs) perfect October what did you say October 23rd October 23rd was your first goal. Yeah. I think the goalie you... was uh, Passy Nermanen, I believe. Everyone's saying, everyone saying, who the hell is that, right? He, I'm sure he was a backup goalie for the Thrashers that game or something. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to have a bit of a dig in the archives for that one. Um... Sure, we'd find it out. What we'll do then, Jordan, is we'll move forward a few years now. Um, obviously, you spent quite a lot of time with uh, Nashville. But there's one incident that always jumps out to me when it comes to Nashville, and that's the, should we call it the Miller incident? I think you've talked about it previously. <laughs> so we'll set the scene for the guys listening to this. December 3rd, 2011, you're coming down the left-hand side, you pick the puck up around the circle, you're cutting into the right, D-man's trying to jockey you away, shield you away from getting to the, the net. And then, bam, that's it. Miller's there. You're over him. And it all kicks off. What do you remember? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I think people who, who played the game will understand uh, my point of view of what what actually happened. Um, so, yeah, like you said, I was coming down the left-hand side. I, I cut at the bottom of the, the circle. And, you know, the game's so fast. And, you know... Y- y- the guy gives me a, 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 a just a slight cross check on my hips as I'm cutting, and you know when you're going a million miles an hour, 
he, 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 I mean, what are you supposed to do, right? So when he gave me a little nudge, I I couldn't cut any more, uh, you know, top of the net. And, uh, you know, my only, my only reaction was to try and leap over him, right? And so all hell broke loose, right? Um, right up my alley. All right, guys, let's, let's <laughs> fucking go here. So, you know, Ryan Taylor's <laughs> on me. Um, Paul Gostad, I think, was the other guy on top of me or whatever. Uh, actually, Paul Gostad became my teammate that, that next year. And, you know, that conversation came up and I shut him up pretty damn quick. I'm like, hey, you're, 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 in, you're in my dressing room now, kid. So shut the fuck <laughs> up, do your job, win face-offs and give me the puck. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so yeah, so, you know, my only option was to try and leap over Ryan Miller. And uh, I don't know if you guys heard the uh the background on ryan miller there i think two games prior to playing us uh or buffalo was playing boston bruins and uh, um milan lucic just crushed miller at the face-off dot uh, you know at in in the right off the face-off and so you know now this happens again to Ryan Miller. Well, I get suspended for I think three games or whatever, which was crock of shit. But anyways, uh, that's hockey, right? <laughs> yeah, I've got it here that it was a two-game suspension. I must admit, I remember seeing the highlights on the NHL app over here that I, I, we have access to, and I thought he clearly tries to jump there. He clearly is trying to jump out of the way. And what is either you fall down and you go for his legs and you take him out or you try and jump out of the way. And either way, I think the league were just looking at it in a bad light. But did you yeah. know whilst you were at Nashville, you set the franchise record for penalty minutes? Did I set the record? Yeah, you're currently, the, you hold the franchise record for penalty minutes in Nashville. Oh. No one to this day has got close. Yeah, <laughs> is that I, something you, you're I, happy I, with? I, <laughs> I don't think anyone's going to come close to that with with the way the the game is trending nowadays. You know, like frick, you, you can't even freaking hit a guy. You know, true. So everyone, yeah, everyone's just a bunch of pussies. You know, perimeter <laughs> players, all skilled. Like, you know, so that's awesome. I I didn't know I I held the record. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning a, a lot. A <laughs> I'm learning a lot from you guys, you know, like, like, you know, to, to me, all that, all the, you know, stats and whatever are irrelevant, you know, can you play the game or not? That's all that matters. You know, so many young kids these days are so, uh, up in, you know, points and goals and assists and, you know, all these, the Corsi ratings and, and, and whatnot, that's all BS, you know. You, you you either have it here or you don't, you know. Junior yes. junior hockey is a lot different than playing with men. So mm -hmm. I think that transition for a lot of young kids when they become pros, uh, they can't handle the pressure uh, because you make mistakes, you're going to get exposed. Welcome to the show, boys, you know. So mm -hmm. you got to be on your game every night. Exactly. If you're going 
head down, middle of the ice, coming up against someone like Zadino Shara, yourself, you're going to get put on your backside. You've got to make the right decisions before you get on the ice, don't you? Otherwise, you're going to end up in serious trouble. Well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, I, I, I go and watch, uh, you know, the Kelowna Rockets. We live in Kelowna, British Columbia here. Uh, the Rockets are the WHL team here in town. And, you know, I'm watching a game and I, I'm watching these kids, you know, cutting the middle with their head down, you know, three times out of five times they're coming down the ice. Uh, someone's cutting the middle with their head down, you know, and I'm just like, wow. You know, back when I played juniors, you stay on your boards and you you play north and south, right? And uh, yeah, obviously the games the games changed. I was able to to walk out on my own terms. Um, uh, obviously, my style of play has kind of diminished in the league. I had opportunities to to go out to to play out in Europe and and all that and. Hey, I know I know I can play the game. I have the skill and and uh, you know the hockey sense or whatever. But you know, I only have one switch, and if it's if it's on, look out, right? So anyone, <laughs> I, I you know, I just I didn't I didn't want to have to play that role anymore because you know it's it's mentally exhausting. I just just want to play the game for fun and enjoy, you know, not be worried about having to back check and, you know, cover the point and, you know, the, all these different aspects of the game. So now I just play once a week, Thursday nights with all the ex pros around here. And, uh, it's, it's good old time Hudson Bay rule hockey, except no fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Discussing Nashville and towards the end of your career, with Nashville um, I remember watching the documentary myself where you said you love the place was it a hard decision when you had to move on and sign with Detroit well you know I, I I played eight years and I basically grew up in Nashville right you know a 20 year old kid coming to uh, the music city um, you know my my heart has always been in Nashville I'll always have a place there but you know, business is business, right? You know, yeah, yeah, it was a tough decision for me to to leave to <laughs> Detroit, which is Nashville's biggest rival. Um, so I was, I didn't know what kind of reaction I was going to get. My first game, my first uh, game played in Nashville. Um, I think I, I might have got a few boos, but... After I scored a goal, there were still some fans cheering, so kind of kind of lightened me up a little bit. But yeah, no, Nashville was uh, the rise and fall of uh, Jordan Tutu's alcoholism, right? So I I partied hard, but it came to the point where you know I was uh, you know making a lot of a lot of mistakes off the ice. Uh, I was exposing myself, you know. Nashville's not a big city. Everybody knows everybody and and when Jordan Tutu was out partying, it was a party, but uh you know, I had to go to work the next day hungover. And uh 
you know, I did that for six, seven years. I don't know how the hell I did it, but, um, you know, came to the point where I hit my rock bottom. It was either NHL career or potentially be six feet under. Right. And that's not what I envision me doing for our people you know, trying to be a, a positive role model for them. And, 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 and now I get to share my story and, and show people that there is light at the end of the tunnel and, and that healing takes time. Uh, but you got to accept the help and, and only you and only you has to do the work, right? No one else is going to do it for you. And so, Two or three years into my sobriety, uh, it was it was tough, right? Because to me, every day felt like it was a it was a challenge, right? Every day, somebody was testing me to see if I would fall off the wagon and, and start boozing again. But um, I knew deep down inside that uh, you know enough was enough, and uh, uh, I played eight more years in the NHL sober. That's the so, big thing, isn't it? Eight more years sober. If you hadn't gone into sober poverty, you may not have paid eight more years. You had to make that decision, didn't you? And you've made the right decision for yourself. Not not eight years. and not. I wouldn't be playing uh, another freaking NHL game. My, my career would have been done, right? So, um, like I said, hockey's always been my outlet, and uh, hockey's ha- hockey has given me everything that I have today. Um, you know, my beautiful wife Jennifer. We have two daughters, Sienna and Avery. And uh, you know, although I had the opportunity to uh, to play for the Stanley Cup and and try to win it, I uh, unfortunately never won the Stanley Cup. But that doesn't matter. I have my two beautiful healthy daughters who are my Stanley cup. And, and uh, you know, now it's about family being the best version of, of myself. Um, uh, you know, being the best husband that I could being the best father, being the best role model for our indigenous communities. Um, but that takes work, right? Um, a lot of uh, uh, therapy, a lot of um, uh, communication, um, you know, going back, I didn't know how to communicate. I didn't know how to articulate my, my feelings, my thoughts and put them to words. Now I'm able to do that because I got help. There's no way I could have done it by myself. Well, um, obviously you were with Detroit for two seasons. Um, then they placed you on conditional waivers. Was that a bit of a shock to you? Well, you you know, with with free agents agency, uh, you know, when you go into a new organization, you, you got to reestablish yourself again, right? So uh, that was a, a a big decision on my part. Do I want to uh, keep playing my career in and just be comfortable with my role of being a you know? fourth line player and and you know the list goes on but I wanted to have the opportunity to to win the Stanley Cup and Detroit at the time uh, in 2000 and 
11, I believe, when I became a free agent, uh, was a contender. And uh, that was uh, the decision that made me go to Detroit is that, okay, uh, you know, I'm going to sign a three-year deal here in Detroit and I'm going to have an amazing opportunity to have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. But that being said, obviously things didn't work out. Um, and I was sent down to the minors, uh, was told that, you know, I'm basically going to be a, a role player to make sure, you know, everyone else is looked after. And I, I basically told the coach, I'm like, look it, I'm a role player in the NHL. I ain't a freaking role player in the American Hockey League here. You know, I, you want me to get back up in the, into the show here? Give me minutes to play. You know, because five, seven, eight minutes of ice time is not going to do any good in the American Hockey League for me. And so, obviously, things didn't work out there. Uh, then I went on to sign in New Jersey. So, yeah. Talking about going to New Jersey, obviously you attended the training camp. We've discussed this with a few people before because... To me personally, the training camp just looks like a cutthroat, chaotic experience where it's any man for himself do anything to get a gig. What are they actually like from the playing side? Yeah, it's 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 it's. So I went to um, New Jersey on a tryout. I wasn't even signed by them, and uh, Lou Lamorello, who's a general manager now for the New York Islanders. Lou Lamorello called me into his office and he said, uh, Toots, like my nickname is Toots. Everyone calls me Toots. Um, he calls me in and he says, Toots, I have five guys on a tryout, but I only have two spots open. Prove, prove to me. And I know you can prove to me that you belong here. And so imagine the stress, right? I, you know, God, you know, I, I gotta, I gotta be on my game every freaking day, whether it's in the gym, riding the bike, um, lifting weights, uh, practice. And so, you know, it was all business. And at the end of training camp, um, Lou called me back into his office and congratulated me. And, uh, I went on two years there and then yeah like I, I don't think anybody who's ever gone to a training camp um, or, or whatever uh, tryout the stress and the uh, you know the mental um, stress that you you put on yourself is uh immeasurable to to anything right like it's 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 hard to explain but i talked about earlier about mind over matter this is where for me it was my mental strength that overcame the the four other guys that were on tryouts and and trust me these these other four guys on tryouts were veteran nhl players and, uh, you know, I had to, I had to do what I did best, 
you know, show up, play hard, skate hard, hit, fight. And, uh, yeah, the rest is just history. Fantastic, that is. Like, I must admit, I think it was with the Devils was probably where I started to maybe follow you a little bit more closely. Um, and then, <laughs> by coincidence, it was announced that you were going to be signing for the Blackhawks, which is my team. How does that kind of deal come about? Does Is it the coach personally that comes to you? Is it the owner? Is it your agent contacting them and putting the feelers out there? Or how does it work? Like, we all see all oh, this trade happened or this free agent's going here, but what's the actual kind of behind the scenes like for you? So, none of the above happened. <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> none of the above happened. Um, I get a call from, it was a, a conference call from Duncan Keith. Jonathan Taves, Brent Seabrook, and Patrick Kane. Wow. They called me. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they called me. Uh, I think it was like four days after uh, free agency day. And um, they basically said, Toots, um, we want you on our team. Do you, do you still have it in you? And I was like, fuck yeah, boys. Like, I'm in. I'm all in. <laughs> and, 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 you know, the, the call lasted literally five minutes. <laughs> Everyone just kind of put in their two bits. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm all in, boys. And then about an hour later, uh, Mr. Stan Bowman called me. And uh, Stan said, you know, we were chatting, whatever. And he's like, you know, uh, I let my core guys pick, pick guys who think they're going to help us win another cup. And, uh, and so that's how it all went down. Um, basically the core group of guys, um, wanted me and Hey, no better feeling than, you know, a team that wants you is actually, you know, the, the guys playing and, um, yeah. it was, uh, it was, a fantastic experience to uh to be in the dressing room with all those guys i actually sat right next to patty kane for for two years and um shared a lot of uh stories and and moments in his career and you know a lot of laughs and and all that because that's what it's all about eh like uh you know the communication that i seen in that dressing room everyone was on the same page and um it was just uh, something special to be to be a part of, and to, you know, end my my NHL career with with the best damn logo in all of sports history. There we go. Heard it first. There we go. That's a. So you mentioned there, obviously, the kind of setup with the Blackhawks felt different. Comparing that to Devils and Nashville, what were the kind of major differences in the locker room that you felt? that the Blackhawks just seem to have maybe better equipment for. They, they seem to have that close-knit community, clearly. Yes, uh, you know, winners, right? Uh, going to going to war every night for, for one another, playing for the guy next to you, not for yourself. I, I seen that with my own eyes, you know. Uh, uh, Taser and Patty Kane, world-class players who didn't give a shit about you know, uh, scoring goals or, or assists or whatever. They, they just want to win. 
And, you know, when you win, everyone contributes and everyone becomes um, exposed to, uh, to, 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 be a, to learn how to be a, a winner. Right. And when, when your, your leadership group leads by example, everyone else just falls in. So, uh, I think that that's what the biggest difference was for me. What I saw was that, you know, how, how everyone carried themselves and that, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't about them. It was about everybody. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear. Considering where they were in their careers, they obviously were both you know, three cups down, you'd think that kind of hunger would have gone at that point, but clearly not. Even to this day, obviously, there's this rumour now of the Black Hawks re, you know, re not rebranding, but re-associating where they're at. And there's supposedly rumours coming out that the core guys are saying that's not what we want, um, which is a good thing. So that just shows they're still hungry, even so late in their careers. So moving on then, Jordan, we, you know, you've touched upon it. You've moved up onto the end of your hockey career. You, you finished with... Uh, I would personally and, uh, you know, definitely say but the best team in the league. Um, <laughs> Post-hockey life for yourself then. Obviously, we've touched upon about the, obviously, the, the issues you've had during your NHL career. Um, I remember watching a documentary about it and reading your book. And you said, obviously, that helped change your life and opening up. There was, I think there was something you said in one documentary that I've, watched um that you broke a mold because obviously the older kind of veterans of the league it was very much you keep your problems to yourself you don't open up but you you kind of broke that mold was that something that you found easy to do once you'd done it or did you find a lot of people gave you a little bit more stick about it afterwards no you know what uh during the process of writing my book it was uh it was a three-year process and uh you know it was it was a healing process for me and when the book actually came out, I would have countless of guys on opposing teams, referees, coaches, um, you know, saying, hey, I can relate to your story. Thank you for, for opening up, you know. So um, it was a... Uh, it, it wasn't a story to expose anybody but myself. And... You know, I, I just want to show people that it doesn't matter what profession you're in, everyone fights a fight you know nothing about. Unless you open up and you communicate and you talk about what's going on, uh, things will only get better in time. Um, that being said, uh, the process of, uh, you know, Relearning my brain to live sober uh, was was tough, but you know, each and every day that went by for me, it was uh, weight lifted off my shoulders, right? Because of you know twenty twenty years of just holding everything in and 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 not talking about what I actually am feeling, um, it, it was. Uh, it was, I mean, the process was hard, but rewarding, you know, yeah. because for me, I wanted to, to stop one cycle and start a new cycle, not only for myself, but, but my family, my kids, and to show them that, 
you know, we we all mess up, and uh, and only only you is gonna get you out of that predicament, you know, as an adult. And so, for me, being an NHL, uh, you know, having issues and and accepting help and being, you know, this tough guy. Um, you know, men don't show weakness. How could a, a tough guy in the NHL have so many problems and, and you know, all this? But, yeah, it was uh, it was hell on earth for, for a few years, but uh, it's been it's been rewarding ever since. And uh, for me, it's it's one day at a time. Uh, and, and I learned to love myself first and, and mm-hmm. to accept who I am. And where I come from, uh, that's never going to change. I am. I can honestly say today I'm comfortable and content in my own skin. I can go to I can go to sleep at night with ease and uh, and just you know no stress. Other than having my two daughters, you know, <laughs> constantly, uh, you know, wanting me to do stuff for them, but. It, <laughs> I didn't have that uh, opportunity as a as a young kid, so I'm I'm able to be a present father and and to watch them grow. That's that's good to hear. That's fantastic to hear. So, just one more thing from me, then, Jordan. Um, with everything going on in the world right now, obviously everybody's got their own issues and feelings that they're they're kind of facing their own demons and their own lifestyles. What's your advice to them if they're listening to this? What would you advise them to do? Pick up a book and start reading, you know, uh, start journaling. I think, uh, you know, for every individual to, to put a timeline to their life, uh, on paper and to go back and reflect, I think, uh, is a great way for, for every individual to, uh, uh, you know, to break out of that, that cycle that they're in or that those tough times, uh, look yourself in the mirror and ask those tough questions. Um, ask your friends, ask your significant other those tough questions. Um, don't be afraid. Um, like I said, we all fight a fight no one knows about until you open up and confront those fears. Um, you'll never be able to move forward. Fantastic advice, that is, Jordan. Thank you. So, uh, Jordan, we've Coming now down to the last uh, few questions now. Um, we've asked all our previous guests um, who their top six would be that they've played alongside. I mean, I'm sure that yours is going to be some quite star-studded players. Um, so we've got one netminder, two defensemen, three forwards. Okay. Who are they? Uh, so we'll start from the back end. Um one of my favorite guys uh, and buddies uh, who is a goalie for the Nashville Predators, Pekka Rene. On, def- on defense, wow. Um, God. Uh, I played with a lot of amazing guys. Um I don't know if you remember this name, Kimo Timonen. He was a yes. in uh, in Nashville with me. He's he was a guy that you know kind of took me under his wing. 
Um, another defenseman for me would be, well, I would have liked to say Nicholas Lidstrom, but he retired when I got to, uh, to Detroit. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, Duncan Keith, Duncan Keith is, uh, um, he's quite the character. He's quite, he, he's a different breed. I'll just put it that way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then up front, uh, I'm going to go back to my uh, two guys from my Nashville days, Paul Correa, Peter Forsberg. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to go to my New Jersey Devil days, Yermir Yager. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. I, I, I only say, you know, I, I could have saved Patty Kane or Jonathan Taves, but, you know, those guys are are good buddies of mine. And it's like, you know, to me, they're just buddies. But, I, I mean, I the, the list can go on, you know, like the Hall of Famers that I played with. Um, but, you know, Taser, straight shooter, tells it how it is. Uh, leads by example. Uh, everyone knows him as Captain Serious, but the guy likes to have a, a good time, and that's what you know when you're when your captain likes to have a good time. But when it's time to go to work, everyone kind of falls in uh, falls into place there. But and and Kaner, you know, I, I when I first got to Chicago, uh, Kaner just got sober. Uh, so I, I hung out with him quite a bit, uh, when we were on the road, you know, we, we go for dinner all the time and, and just hang out because he, he had to relearn what I learned, you know, six, seven years ago prior to, uh, you know, going to Chicago, having to learn and live a, a different way, but yet bring it every night. Right. Um, so it was an honor to, uh, to play in the NHL, it's, uh, it's it's a privilege, right? You know, nothing in life is given to you for free. You got to fucking work for it. Just what a lineup. What a lineup. I'll be honest, before we got onto the call, the three of us were sat there again, right? The top six. And we had, it was either going to be Pecorino or Marc-Andre Fleury from uh, Team Canada days. We got Duncan Keith, But then we were stuck between Brent Seabrook or Shea Weber. So nowhere near... <laughs> And then the forwards, we went for, uh, it was Taze, Kane, and who's the other one? Ah. Oh. oh, who did we say? Which which, oh, which, I, I said, um, is that a Stromo, Daxuya yeah, from Detroit? Daxu, yeah, from, from Detroit Daxu. days. Yeah. But, uh, I'm glad so, you went for hey, Detroit, I'm a duck. Quick, quick story about Datsuk. I mean, the guy is just a magician, right? That's oh. his nickname, right? The magician. And, uh, I like I grew up fishing and hunting, and um, when I got to Detroit for our first year training camp, uh, Pav was like, "Toots, you want to go fishing?" This was during training camp. I was like, "Fuck yeah!" He's like, "Okay, I'll make sure you're on my team, so we're the first ones in the morning to skate, and then we have the rest of the day to go fishing." And so, from training camp. The whole time I was in Detroit, any days off we had, 
we were we were out fly fishing um every time we were on the road the first thing he would look for was like a, a a fishing store and we'd go and we'd spend like two hours before dinner looking at flies hooks and all this stuff and and so you know the guy is just down to earth uh you know Henrik Zetterberg Johan Franzen Todd Bertuzzi god I I, I mean I I'm just so fortunate to be able to play with a lot of these amazing players unbelievable um so coming away from hockey slightly now um you hung the skates up what is happening with jordan 2-2 post hockey yeah so now i'm uh I, i i do a lot of public speaking in uh indigenous communities um sharing my my life story uh suicide prevention substance abuse um I, I travel a couple times a month, but obviously now with COVID, uh, everything's kind of shut down and I do a lot of online uh, conferences and all that. So, uh, you know, the transition for me was uh, was very smooth. Um, and so, and, and it's something I'm passionate about that I, I love helping our, our people because they can relate to me. I, I've lived their life right? Uh, there's no bullshit with me. You know, I, I ain't no doctor or therapist or psychologist. I just tell it how it is. And, uh, th- this is, uh, you know, what people need to hear, right? Um, you know, there is light at the end of the tunnel if you, if you mess up. So, uh, I, I try and talk about, you know, the sacrifices that we all have to make in order to, uh, to have a successful, career or or uh a healthy life um you got to put in the work no one else is going to do it for you so that's uh basically what i do now and uh and and be a father every day right i i'm truly grateful that i have the opportunity to be home every day and and watch my kids um a lot of outdoor activities Uh, i grew up outside my kids uh don't even really know what a tablet is or an iPad or a computer. Um, it's uh, it's outside. You want to play? I don't care if it's minus 30 outside. We'll go outside. Fantastic. That was good to hear, Jordan. Um, what I would like to ask is, just before we kind of round it off, I'll edit this bit out. Just at the end of everything, I'll kind of wrap the call up. Would you mind just doing like a little intro to the video so we can release that when we announce it next week? Because uh, like we said earlier, we don't think anybody's going to believe us. So uh, I'll wrap up the call now for everybody. So there's no questions more from me here. Uh, Ash, have you got anything? I have got a couple, a slight couple. Before we went, uh, we were talking about the Elite League in general and obviously you mentioned some of your previous teammates played over here, um, one of them being Wade Belak who played for the Blaze, who we all support. What was it like being next to someone like Wade? Unreal over here. He came over, bought in, won us three trophies, along with the rest of his teammates. Yeah, no, Wade was, uh, uh, I mean, he was a class act, right? And he, uh, he was uh, kind of the glue to the dressing room, right? You know, if, if, uh, if, there was tension. He was a guy that always broke broke the icing, and uh, you know, kind of brought everyone together. 
uh, actually was his roommate on the road, so I got to know him pretty good. And uh, just uh, a family man who uh, who cared for his teammates. And uh, and obviously, like I said, you know, um, we all fight a fight no one knows about. You know, I hung out with Wade every day, and I had no idea how much he was hurting. And, um, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, he passed away, but um all his teachings i'll forever uh cherish and uh and be a part of um i think uh, another another teammate of mine might have uh played in covington was uh cam jansen uh he was in nottingham cam jansen uh-huh. he uh he played the same team McGrattan, but in okay. different years okay cam was couple. a character <laughs> oh couple couple heavyweights right there yeah Big of Talking on heavyweights, we we had a recording recently with a an, an old style enforcer by trade, and we asked him the toughest three guys who he went toe to toe with, and Wade was one of them. From your perspective, being a gritty, tough guy, stuck up for himself, who are the toughest three guys you went toe to toe with? Uh, honestly, every fight was tough, right? I think the the biggest battle for me was my own shadow, right? I, I, you know, a lot of the the shit that I put myself through was uh, was my own doing, and um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it's just a hockey game, right? But uh, you know, back in the in the nineties and early two thousands. Uh, every team had four or five, you know, role players who uh, who got the job done. And fortunately, I was always um, I had two heavyweights on each side every game. So uh, I wasn't, you know, I every fight, every fight, uh, you, you're going to win some, you're going to lose some, and uh, and that's just the name of the game. But for me, it was, you know battling my own shadow good answer very good answer ross have you got anything you'd like to add uh no just uh, want to say thank you for all the advice you've given telling people to speak out um it's been fantastic listening to your journey uh well done for um being alcohol free for 10 years that's just such an achievement as well thank you um but just, yeah, thanks very much for your time. It's been very much appreciated. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you very much, Jordan, for coming on. So that is it for today's episode, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed this one. Uh, we'd hopefully like to see you back in an ice rink in the near future. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Third Period Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you've got anything you want to say to us, find us on Facebook. Maybe join in the next episode. As always, check out Nuola for all your custom sportswear needs. Ah!